First Steps is the series that we're in, uh, in the book of Acts, Lessons from Acts, and today I'm calling the message First Message. First Message. I would encourage you, the, all the scripture is going to be on the scripture, but I'm, uh, it's going to be a long scripture, uh, so I would encourage you to get one of the Bibles that's in the chairs, or your own Bible, or your, your Bible on your phone. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, and just have that in front of you the whole time, because I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'm going to be referring back to it, and it won't be up on the screen a lot of the time then. So, I, um, and I would encourage you to do that every week. Uh, just have, you know, it'll be on the screen, but don't get too spoiled by that. You know, uh, uh, use your Bibles, your phone, your, uh, uh, and again, there's some pew Bibles, red and blue ones, around underneath these chairs. So, if you don't have yours. And by the way, if, if you need a Bible and you don't have one, just take one of those home with you. It's yours, okay? All right, um, last week we celebrated Mother's Day, and again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we can always say that, can't we? It doesn't have to be a special day for that. Um, so in, in order to do that and stay in the series, uh, we skipped over uh, in the book of Acts to chapter 16, and we talked about the story of Lydia, uh, uh, the mom who sold purple cloth. I, also the name of my granddaughter that I got to see dance in a recital yesterday. That was fun. Uh, but uh, we, we talked about her and, and her conversion to Christ and, uh, and, uh, and the fact that she was a mom who, who taught her family uh, and, 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 and demonstrated her faith to her family, to her children and, and, and husband. Uh, this week, we're going to go back to the beginning of Acts. Uh, and take up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2. Now the book of Acts is the story of the church's beginning. From day 1 here in chapter 2, where the church begins there in Jerusalem, to the church spreading and growing throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, as Jesus described. That's that's where he said, guys, take the message of Jesus uh, to the ends of the earth. for example, last week when we were talking about Lydia, we saw the Apostle Paul began to spread the gospel um, in Europe for the very first time, uh, there in Macedonia. Now, a practice that we here at Stony Brook, um, uh, uh, to the best of our ability, now we're not perfect at it, and we, we recognize that we're, all, we're not perfect at it, but to the best of our ability, our practice is, um, that we are going to try to do things the way, practice our faith the way those first Christians did. Um, to the best of our ability, we're, and, and again, we'll never be perfect at it, but to the best of our ability, let's establish this congregation, Stony Brook Christian Church, as much as possible to be like the early church, the church uh, that, was, that was established in the book of Acts by the apostles of Jesus. The church that is addressed in the letters that, in the books that follow the book of Acts. Um, uh, let's, let's, to the best of our ability, be like that first century church. Uh, you, you, have you ever thought about the fact that the purest of most things are the first things? <laughs> uh, it, it's true for, for a lot, of, a lot of, of situations in our life. You ever notice what happens when you make copies of a document by using a recent copy as the standard rather than the original copy. Uh, you, you know what happens to that, don't you? The copies don't get any better, do they? They don't get sharper. 
Uh, uh, not at all. No, they get blurrier. They get faded. They get crooked. <laughs> um, they, sometimes they're unreadable. Jackie and I uh, were, are staying, and she's still there, but uh, this weekend we were staying at this old uh, uh, vintage motel, the Cavalier by the Sea Motel down there at Kill Devil Hills. Uh, and uh, when we checked in, the lady gave us this uh, sheet with all the instructions on it. And down at the bottom, it had the Wi-Fi information, right? So it said, this is your network and this is your password. And you could tell that this, was, this is a copy that was made from a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You know, so, so we're sitting in our room going, now, what does that look like to you? Is that a... Is that a one or an I or an L? What is, what is, it, it took us a while, but we finally figured out what the password was before, without having to call. Um, but that's what happens when you make copies using the copy of a copy of a copy. It, it just gets distorted. Every time you make a new batch using a copy from the last batch, the outcome becomes more and more distorted. That's just the way it is. So the way you keep your copies the most crisp and the most accurate is to use the original as the standard, right? Well, that's true when you're talking about documents, but it's also true when you're talking about the church as well. Um, through the centuries, Christians have developed some interesting ideas, uh, doctrines, practices that on the surface maybe made sense at the time, uh, but they are different from the doctrines and practices of those first Christians that were taught by the apostles of Jesus, different from the churches that were established by the apostles in the first century. And, and I'm not talking about non-essential things like music and dress styles. You know, we, we don't wear uh, robes and sandals anymore. You know, we're not talking about things like that. Um, or whether the Lord's Supper is served by passing a tray or by making it available on tables or, or, or something like that. No, the, the focus of the early church was celebrating the Lord's Supper, not the mechanics of how it was served. That's not what was important. It was the reason why you're doing it. But when it comes to essential core values, practices, doctrines taught by the apostles of Jesus... You know, those are things we need to get right. And the only way to keep them crisp and accurate is to model them after the original copy. Imitate those first followers of Jesus. The church of the first century. Imitating not only the things that they did, but doing them for the reason that they did them. Not just going through the motions, but doing it for the same reason they did it. So as we work our way through some of the key moments of the early church, you know, let's consider how well we here at Stony Brook are modeling the original copy. Are there areas, and we were talking about a need to change. Uh, sometimes we, we need to change because we need to do it a different way. Uh, in Sunday school, we were talking about that. Are there areas where we need to make some adjustments? Uh, as we look at the original copy. Uh, are there areas where maybe we're doing the right thing, but maybe we're doing it for the wrong reason? Uh, maybe we're doing the right thing, but we're not really focusing on why we're doing it. We're just kind of going through the motions. Maybe there's some things that the early church did, essential things, that we're not doing at all. 
and we need to start doing. So let's, as we're working our way through, through the, the early church, the original church, the first church, let's, let's keep an open mind and a willingness to make adjustments where we need to uh, so that we can be more like those first followers of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's, let's jump into day one of the church. Uh, the first gospel message. The first gospel message. The very first gospel message ever given is found in our, in our passage this morning, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 41. I encourage you to turn to that. Now, this happened right after God had sent the 12 apostles of Jesus, uh, to, uh, had sent them the promised secret weapon that I called it a couple of weeks ago, uh, sent them the Holy Spirit. Um, in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, we see how that happened, how that all took place, how the Holy Spirit came upon them. Uh, we talked about uh, that a couple of weeks ago. The Holy Spirit came, remember, with blowing violent wind uh, that filled the house that the twelve were staying in. He appeared as something like tongues of fire over the, the twelve, something that looked like fire dancing over them, I guess. Um, he, the Holy Spirit gave the twelve miraculous abilities to speak languages that they had never studied before. Uh, languages of, not, not just unknown tongues, but languages of the Jews who had gathered there in Jerusalem for the annual Jewish festival called Pentecost. Jews from all over the world had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate this annual feast. Um, and we see there in verse 9 through 11 of chapter 2, that there were 15 distinct regions listed, people from Europe all the way around to North Africa, and, and there were local languages um, spoken by those people, local dialects, and the 12 were given the miraculous ability to speak all of those languages perfectly. Now, this entrance by the Holy Spirit was so profound and spectacular that the people who were outside of the building that the twelve were in uh, noticed it. They heard the noise. They noticed the commotion. Uh, they noticed, when I guess when the twelve came out, the tongues of fire over their head. Uh, they heard the violent wind. Uh, they saw and heard these Galileans, who were people that were not known for being formally educated. You know, they were intelligent people, but they weren't known for being college graduates or anything like that, they noticed that these Galileans were suddenly able to speak these languages perfectly. The languages of the people that were gathered there. Now, apparently this was not a small crowd at all, a very large crowd. Thousands were there in, right in that area, uh, wondering, what's this all about? This wind, this noise, the fire, the languages. Um, and so, with these miracles... The twelve had their attention. They had their attention. And so now it was time to run the play. We, we called it the play that Jesus gave the twelve uh, to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Now it was time for the twelve to run the play. So armed with the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to tell this gathered group about Jesus. It was the first gospel message ever ever preached now uh, 
I've read this message that we're going to talk about today many times uh, in my life. I've commented on uh, the fact that it was the first gospel message. I've shared it with people that I've been witnessing to. Um, I've talked about the people's reaction to this message. Um, but you know what? I'm going to have to be honest with you. Uh, I, I've never really done a deep dive into the meat of this message that Peter gave and, and tried to understand why, why in the world did this message bring this reaction to the peop- from the people who heard it that day? So, in preparation for this message, I did a deep dive uh, on it, and, I, you know, and now that I've done that, I understand why 3,000 people accepted this message, accepted Jesus that day. 3,000 people. So let's talk about the first message. And first, let's just read it. Instead of breaking it up and doing it a little bit at the time, let's just read it, and then we'll go back and we'll unpack it. So, verses beginning with verse 14 through verse 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. If you remember, last week we talked about some of the people were accusing them. Oh, they're just a bunch of drunks. No, he's addressing that. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my servant in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, becoming before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the, from the agony of death before it was, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, 
that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven yet, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the others, other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, that was at least a portion of the first gospel message. Now, Luke tells us in verse 40 that, uh, that Peter spoke many other words. Uh, so this wasn't an exact transcript of every single word that Peter said that day. Uh, but but Luke, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, includes the highlights of it. Now, I'll have to admit, on the, surface, on the surface of this message, when I first read it, when I first read this first gospel message, as a Western Gentile, 2,000 years later, I'm going to have to admit, this message alone, just by itself, just reading this message, uh, would not have motivated me to drop everything and follow Jesus. Uh, just who I am, where I'm living, and the time that I'm living while I'm reading it. You know, it's got some interesting things in it, the, the message does. But frankly, there are some things in this message, before I did the deep dive, that I would scratch my head at and go, you know, I'm not really sure what that means. <laughs> what, what, what is that all about? Why, why is that important? Yet, 3,000 people that day were persuaded to accept Peter's message and they became that day disciples of Jesus because of it. So what was the deal with this message? Well, let's see. First of all, we must remember that, that most, if not all of these people that who, were, who were listening to Peter's message were Jews. This was a Jewish festival. And remember, the gospel was first going to go to the Jews um, and then to the Gentiles later. Um, so, so most of the people who were there that day were Jews. Uh, they were Jewish people who were devout enough in their Jewish religion uh, that many of them traveled from the ends of the earth, hundreds, maybe thousands of mile, miles on foot, many of them with their families, in order to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish feast of Pentecost. So how could this message a message that contains part that seemed confusing to me at first, at first glance, how could this message persuade 3,000 people to completely realign their loyalties with the kingdom of God? How could 3,000 people, devout Jewish people, be persuaded to follow Jesus? Again, these are devout, practicing Jews. They're not a bunch of Gentiles from North Carolina. 
while, while, while parts of this message might be a little confusing to us, we need to understand this. It was very clear and very profound to these Jews who heard it. It wasn't confusing to them at all. As we said, the twelve already had their attention, right? Because of the mighty entrance of the Holy Spirit, the wind, the, the fire, the languages. They had their attention. And, and so because of those things, these people were at least motivated to hear what they had to say. Whoa, what's all this stuff? And now Peter starts speaking. Okay, all right, you got my attention. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. So when Peter addressed this crowd, he had their attention. So the Holy Spirit at the beginning with the miracles was kind of the hook, right? And now Peter had to set the hook with this message. A message, no doubt, that the Holy Spirit gave him. I don't think Peter wrote this message in his study the week before. I think the Holy Spirit gave it to him, gave him, gave it to him that day, right after that he came upon him. So first, uh, Peter addressed the accusation that some in the crowd were making, that they were drunk. You know, they're, the wind and their, their languages, they're babbling. Uh, ah, they're just drunk. Not everybody said that, but a few people in the crowd were saying, ah, oh, they're just drunk. They were not drunk. Uh, as some accused. Now, it was only nine in the morning, and, and no respectable Jew would be drunk at nine in the morning, especially at a sacred Jewish festival like Pentecost. No, they were not drunk. No, they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how do you convince a Jewish crowd that something is from God? How do you do that? Simple. You quote Scripture. You quote scripture. That's how you do it. You see, again, these are devout Jews. They're proudly, proudly practicing their religion at this annual feast, Pentecost. And unlike many Christians today, uh, they knew their scripture. Uh, they had been taught scripture since childhood. And, and, and many uh, had much of the, the Bible, the Old Testament for them memorized they didn't just know where things were they they had it in their brains they had memorized it so peter doesn't just say that that what they're witnessing is the spirit of god no he quotes scripture that foretold that this very thing was going to happen the passage that he quotes is from the old testament book of joel chapter 2 verse 28 and your in the acts passage is verse 17 through 21 this was a quote from the Old Testament book of Joel. Now many, again, if not most in the crowd, would have been very familiar with this passage. Um, may, maybe they had read it and often wondered themselves, I wonder what that means. What, what is Joel talking about here? And so Peter was giving them the answer from their own scripture. Joel was talking about uh, that what they were seeing right in front of them was God pouring out His Spirit, foretelling that this was going to happen. Joel spoke of uh, prophesying, seeing visions, dreaming dreams. You know, these were common ways that God's Spirit in the past would get messages to people through visions and dreams. Usually they'd do it through one man, one person, like a prophet, like Elijah. But Joel is saying that one day this same Spirit of God is going to be poured out not just on one man, but on 
everyone, everyone, young and old, men and women, everyone will receive the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of that passage, Joel says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone will receive the Spirit. Everyone will be saved. So no, we're not drunk, fellow Jews. No, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit too. It was predicted. It was prophesied in Scripture. Now that was an earth-shattering proclamation to those people. Because up to that point, again, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on certain individuals at certain times in history, not on everybody. So the Holy Spirit got their attention with his miraculous entrance, and then Peter and the Holy Spirit kept their attention with a familiar passage from the book of Joel. Okay, they're still listening. He still got them. Uh, And now their attention is heightened a little bit. So they're not going anywhere for now. Peter continues. Now he begins to talk about Jesus. First, by reminding them of who Jesus was and what he did. Now most, if not all, of those listening were familiar with Jesus. You know, they had had either seen him uh, when they were in Jerusalem for Passover and other times, or they at least had heard about this Jesus. Uh, They had heard about his miracles how he had healed the blind and the lame and raised the dead even. Um, you know, stories like, like that spread around pretty rapidly. And, and so most everybody there had heard of Jesus, heard about his miracles. Uh, and, and remember, it only had been a few weeks prior to this. This wasn't years later. This was just a few weeks ago that Jesus was among them. Now, some of them even may have seen these miracles themselves, and, and they could have testified to people around them, yeah, yeah, I was there. I, 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 I saw him heal a, heal a blind man. I, I saw him feed 5,000 people with just a handful of fish and some bread. I was there. I saw it. You know, God used the miracles of Jesus, uh, wonders and signs that Jesus performed, for the primary reason of of just proving that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. Now, they were beneficial to the people that were healed, but the primary reason that Jesus used the miracles was to prove that he was who he was. Now, the crowd is still with Peter, so he takes them a little bit deeper. Peter goes from preaching to meddling, (laughs) to use that old saying. Peter reminds them of what happened to Jesus and who was responsible for it. God allowed Jesus to be handed over to you, Peter said, you Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, to to those Jews who were in the crowd that, that cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And with the help of wicked men, the Romans, Jesus was put to death on a cross. Now again, everybody in this crowd is familiar with what happened to Jesus. Some of them were in the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Some of them saw him hanging on the cross. Everyone there had heard about what happened to Jesus. And then Peter reminds them of something else that most of them had heard about. God 
raised him from the dead. Now, Jew or not, <laughs> you know, believing that someone rose from the grave, that's a tall order, isn't it? You know, if somebody told you that, yeah, my friend, he, he rose from the grave yesterday. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to reject that right out generally, aren't we? Um, because that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So before Peter loses them, you know, some of them might be, ah, before he loses them, he goes back to Scripture again. This time he quotes from their beloved David, from Psalm chapter 16, verse 18 through 11, verse 25 through 28 there in the Acts passage. Again, most of the people in the crowd would know this passage. They would know this passage. Many of them likely could have quoted it right along with Peter. And in that passage, David, their hero, their hero speaks of someone who defeated death and now sits at the right hand of God. And while, as maybe when you first read it, it sounds at first like David's talking about himself, Peter points out that it couldn't be David. It couldn't be David because David died and we know where his tomb is. Couldn't be him. No, this one that David speaks of is another. Peter proclaims that he is Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. David prophesied that it would happen. And then Peter testifies, you know, we who stand, we 12, and he's standing up, I guess, I don't know if he's on a stage or just kind of in a clearing, uh, but he, I'm sure he pointed at, every, at the other 11. We who stand before you, we are witnesses of that. We know that this is true because we saw Jesus alive after he died. Jesus, Jesus is the one David spoke of. He is the one who ascended into heaven and who is now sitting at the right hand of God, as the prophecy said from David. Now, again, why should these people listen to these Galileans? You know, so what? A bunch of Galileans say something like that. Well, it was clear to them from the wind and the fire and the tongues that they were not just some traveling religious cult. <laughs> no. As God did with Jesus, God used miraculous signs to authenticate the twelve. And then Peter goes back one more time to Scripture. This time, Psalm 110, verse 1, verse 34 through 36 in Acts there. This Lord Jesus, who defeated death, by request of God, sits at the right hand of God now. How do you persuade a devoted Jew to follow Jesus? By helping them see that Jesus was not some heretic, but he was a man who fulfilled their own scripture. In Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the Old Testament. No, I came to fulfill it. Peter and the Holy Spirit had them ready. They were ready now. The miracles, the prophecies, the reminders of what happened to Jesus, the eyewitness testimony of his resurrection. Now it's time for the payoff. Now it's time for the payoff. Verse 36. 
Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God made Jesus Lord and Messiah, he said to them. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And Jesus is your Messiah, the anointed one. This message to this Jewish audience, authenticated by miracles and scripture, convinced 3,000 people to respond to it. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Verse 37. 3,000 people were persuaded to do whatever they needed to do. Whatever they needed to do. Whatever God wanted them to do. They were persuaded to accept Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. That was the first message. That was the first message. Next week, we'll talk about the first response. But what a powerful message that was. You know, at, at least we can see how powerful it was for that Jewish audience at that time. Maybe it's not quite as powerful for us when we read it. But you can see how it was for them. As I did the deep dive, now I see why, why this message received such a powerful response from this group. As with Lydia last week, uh, they were in the right place at the right time where God's spirit, God's messenger, and God's word came together to change lives for eternity. Do you realize that these same three elements can have the same effect on people's lives today? Uh, all, all that we need to motivate people to respond to Jesus is... God's Spirit, God's Messenger, and God's Word. That's all we need. Three powerful elements that can still move hearts today. You know, as we saw from Joel's prophecy, the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the 12 apostles. Uh, we'll see next week that the Holy Spirit is going to be given to everybody who accepts Jesus. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the Holy Spirit, the secret weapon... <laughs> It's given to every Christian, every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is a messenger of Jesus. I'm a messenger. You're a messenger if you're a Christian. And just as the Holy Spirit guided Peter in, in what to say to the crowd that day, if we ask the Holy Spirit who lives in us and, and, and we allow him, he, he'll do the same thing for us today. You know, what, whenever we want to share Jesus with someone, the Holy Spirit can be right there with us to help us as we, as we share. You know, no doubt one of the things that, that keeps us from talking about Jesus, I think, is we fear what to say. I, I, I'm not sure what to say to this person. Um, and, and I know from personal experience that uh, as we prepare to speak to someone, we've got it on our heart, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to share uh, a, a message with a friend of ours about Christ, if we will simply ask the Holy Spirit to guide us before we do it, um, He will give us the words to say. I, I found myself like it's just pouring out. Yeah, I didn't write it down and work on it in my office all week. I, I just asked the Holy Spirit, give me the words to say here, and it just comes. 
Um, the Holy Spirit still gives us words to say when we're speaking to someone. Um, we'll, and we'll find that whatever we say, even if it comes out awkward and shaky, and sometimes it'll do that. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it might sound uh, understandable to us later. Well, I can't believe I said that. What did I say that for? Even if, if whatever comes out is awkward and shaky, you know what? The Holy Spirit can still use it. He can still use it because the passion there and the, the love is there. If we will just um, speak, it'll be just what the person needs to hear. But we've got to do it. We've got to be bold and do it like Peter did. Especially if we include the third element that Peter used, God's Word. <laughs> you know, you and I, need to be more like those Jews when it comes to our knowledge of God's Word. You know, as I mentioned earlier, so many Christians today know very little about the Bible, the Word of God, the New Testament. Um, and because of that, um, you know, we can't use its power. If we don't know the Bible, the Word of God, we can't use its power to help bring people to Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul wrote this about the gospel. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You know, he, he proclaims that the gospel message of Jesus is a powerful message. The Holy Spirit works through that too. But if we don't know that message, if we're not familiar with it, then it, we can't offer that power to people we talk to. If you had an opportunity today, let, let, let's, let's think about it. If we had an opportunity today, could we show someone that we're talking to where the story of Jesus is? Could you find that story? Um, where, where is it in the Bible? Do you know? There's a lot of Christians that would be looking in Leviticus for it uh, because they don't really know where it is. Uh, do we know that it's in the Gospels? Uh, are we familiar with, with it? Could we show from Scripture why a person needs Jesus uh, and how to accept Him as their Savior? Um, do we know where that is? Could we find it? Could we share it? If someone's hurting or struggling with life, if they're dealing with a sickness or a loss, um, some kind of trial in their life, could we share with them a Scripture that can show them how God can help them through it? One of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery that we're doing is in the lessons that I've been teaching, which are lessons from the, the program, throughout the whole lesson, I mean, almost every paragraph, there's a passage from Scripture to illustrate from the Bible the very point that, that the lesson is making. Um, throughout the Bible, there are passages that can help us deal with life. But if we don't know the Bible, we can't share those passages so if the answer is no i'm not very familiar with with scripture uh, i'd urge you hey let's change that let's change that let's start or maybe restart reading the bible um, and for us christians i would encourage you to if you haven't done it for a while don't start in genesis and numbers you know, start in matthew start in the new testament the new testament is the scripture where we where we learn about christ and 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 living the christian life um, uh, start, let's start reading God's Word. 
start attending a, a group Bible study, like Sunday school at 9.30 on Sundays. Got some great teachers that te- teach some powerful lessons from the Bible. Wednesday night, uh, Joe's teaching the book of Romans on Wednesdays. Great time to learn about that wonderful book uh, about uh, our Christian faith in the book of Romans in the New Testament. Maybe meet with a friend. You know, you got a mutual friend, maybe, maybe agree, hey, you know what? I need to learn more about the Bible. How about you? What if we get together at lunch on Wednesdays or Tuesdays or meet at a coffee shop or something and let's, let's read the Bible together and study it. Um, become a student of God's Word. And not so you can impress people about how much you know. Yep, I know, I know all the books of the Bible and where key passages are. But to help yourself in your walk with God and also help others get closer to God because you can share... Uh, relevant passages with them, the power of God's Word with them. God's Spirit, God's Messenger, and God's Word. Three powerful elements that can still move people toward God today. So filled with the Spirit, filled with God's Word, let's be that messenger. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this great first message that we read about in the book of Acts. Uh, Lord, it's, it was powerful enough uh, to persuade a lot of people to realign uh, their approach to the kingdom of God. And they moved from practicing their Jewish faith to following Jesus, uh, who fulfilled their Jewish faith. Um, Thank you for this message and and the elements that made it powerful. Your spirit, uh, the willingness of Peter and the apostles, and uh, your word. So, Father, help us to take those same three elements in our lives uh, and use them in the same way to, uh, to strengthen our own spiritual walk with you but also to share with others that we come in contact each, way, each day. People we have relationships with, people we're friends with, when the time is right, uh, help us to be able to just to, to share with them what they need to hear and give us the words to say. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be bold and just say, God, Spirit, I'm going in. <laughs> give me the words. Uh, and, he, and we know and trust that he will. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this first message and help our message continue as we share it with others. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.